Hello, and welcome to episode eight of The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and today we are talking about a fun pop culture episode that we just released yesterday on Bad Faith Podcast. It is about the classic show, Sex and the City, which has been rebooted in the form of Just Like That. The show features three of the four girls we have come to know and love with notable absence of, Mar- of um, sorry, Samantha, who was the raunchiest, sexiest gal in the city. We also, for the second half of the episode, talked about a show that is probably more germane to the interest of this uh, as we've established heavily male listenership here <laughs> succession, but there are a lot of really interesting, I think cultural phenomena that become presented throughout uh, sex in the city. So I'm hoping to talk about some of those here today. I am also going to pull in and check on our co-host friend of the show, uh, Oleyemi Olerin, who is telling me that she is looking for the link which she's right. I did not, in fact, send her. So I am going to DM that to her and pull her in. But first, let's go ahead and listen to a clip from this episode so you can get a sense of the um, craziness that we're dealing with up top. That's it. That's all the greeting I get after I rescued you. Are you talking to me or Burton? Because you rescued me too. Lily, that is a terrible thing to say. I know. That's why I said it. So not only did they have the self-awareness to know that's a terrible thing to say, because the subsequent line is, that's a terrible thing to say. They put it on the kid. They put it on the child actor to say, yeah, that's why I said it. The show does this a lot, where it does, it makes a joke out of saying a terrible thing, knowing that it's a terrible thing, but somehow still wants to get away with saying the terrible thing. What's the point of this? Who, Who asked for this? Help me understand TV critics. What, what am I missing here? This is why I keep going back to the fact that all the other characters seem to validate our main characters. Because it's moments like this where it's like, I'm saying something terrible, but I love you and you love me and that's okay. And so it just seems like a lot of, to be cruel, I guess, it seems like patting these characters on the head and being like, anything you're doing now as an older person is okay and is valid i sort of feel like it is just a way to be like to viewers if there are viewers of a certain age who align with these characters that it sort of feels like a you'll figure it out like it'll be okay if you aligned with one of these characters if you were in a friend group that said i'm a miranda or i'm a charlotte you too will eventually be accepted (laughs) (laughs) by the youths and people outside of your racial group well it makes me wonder how much I may be understating or under like underappreciating how much anxiety there is among liberals t- about just saying the wrong thing. Because what it does feel like is if we just get everyone to say terrible things on camera and they are loved anyway and accepted anyway and they get through it, then and the world doesn't collapse. It, you know, it, it's reassuring in some way to the viewer. Like, oh, this person said the most absurd version of a thing I've ever thought. And the world didn't come tumbling around. I mean, does it speak to some social anxiety that I might be underestimating, even though I feel like I'm pretty aware of it? Because the, 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 the through thread all, through all of this being so strongly about the microaggression as a plot line suggests to me that the average liberal affluent New Yorker thinks of nothing other than whether or not they're going to accidentally offend their doorman. 
like what if this thing is just being written by people who hate wokeness what if this whole thing because it, it does almost seem like a parody like it almost seems the, the kendi x references it almost seems like this is written by someone who resents who has a deep-seated hatred for kind of woke politics All right, so that was the latest episode uh, that we did with two culture writers, Jen Cheney and Roxana Hadidi, both from Vulture, uh, New York Magazine. And I really appreciated both of them, not just because they are insightful people who have written about both Sex and the City and Succession, but because they had access to two additional episodes and dropped some little... um, hints throughout about what we could expect and just before i came on live today i watched the third installment of just like that which gives us even more to talk about doubling down on this kind of framing of all of these ancillary people of color they've added to the cast basically being in there to confirm that the girls are all right and feeling so over the top with this kind of Um, aggressive need to signal to every cultural conversation that's happening in the world of quote unquote wokeness, that it almost feels like it could have been written by someone who hates wokeness or who wrote the book on wokeness in either measure. It's so cringe. It's so bad. It's difficult to tell the difference. I see Ole is in the chat. I am inviting her up to speak. Ole. When you are ready, introduce yourself to the audience and for folks who might not have caught your last very popular, very controversial appearance on the <laughs> podcast. Right. I'm, I'm glad I'm finally doing something I can't get in too much trouble for. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Don't speak too soon. Listen, let's hope. Let's hope. Hi, everybody. My name is Elia Mioluren. I'm a public defender in New York City and y'all can all call me Ole. Okay, Ole. So when I reached out to you about kvetching about this episode, you said, or the series rather, you said there's plenty for us to talk about. You have no problem griping about this. What was your initial impression on first gloss of watching the first two or three episodes of And Just Like That? Honestly, I'm sick. I'm distraught. And I should have known better. <laughs> listen, the minute the episode started with Carrie dressed like Robin Hood, I should have known. I should have known the terrible things were fun. <laughs> I just can't believe it. It's, it's, listen, it is the cringiest thing I've watched in like cringe. Like, I, I don't think I've ever actually said cringe aloud watching something. I watched it with my friend. We were, it was three of us. And I was like, cringe. Oh my God, cringe. What's happening here? Like, listen. It's okay to just let the girls live in their white world. Like, hey, hear me out. I'm like, hear me out. Like, listen. Some people live like that's real, right? Like, you know, these are three white women living white lives in Manhattan. They've been doing that for decades. We've been cool with it. We watched it the whole time. We've rewatched it. We let them make movies. We like it. We're okay. Just let them be white. Why? Like, make it make sense. All of a sudden, um, Miranda needs a degree, a master's in human rights. She can take it, Lord. What? what? Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that from, because you are a public interest attorney. So this idea that Miranda Hobbs, who has been a corporate lawyer for like, I don't know, 30 years of her life. I feel like we watched her struggles to make partner on the original series has now decided at age 55 that she wants to take a career turn and start helping people. Okay, fair enough. Good on her. How, how can I complain about that as someone who was also a corporate lawyer who took a turn to the left? But she decided that she needed a, an entire master's degree from Columbia University for $70,000 a year mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. give back. Does that gel with reality Listen. for you? 
listen, <laughs> listen. <laughs> I, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm, let me, let me not get myself in trouble today, but I'm, I'm gonna say some light, some light. Listen, it's just interesting. <laughs> it's just interesting that she feels like she's so needed. You know what I mean? Like, we mm. need you, Miranda Hobbs, to be a human rights lawyer. Like, what a big, like, think about it. Like, as a lawyer, you know, like, that's a heavy role. Like, these kinds of, this kind of work is heavy work. Like, there are specific yeah. people who go into that field, careers committed to it, all kind of investments. Suddenly, though, we need you. You, sweetie, who's never looked this way your whole life, your career. They, they, they need you, Miranda. They need you. <laughs> okay, but Olay, if she gets the degree from Columbia, that's the imprimatur of her value and goodness and worth to be in this field. So it all makes sense, right? Ciao. Yes. <laughs> so she, and then, oh God, the cringe introduction to the class. Okay. All right. So this is this is what I've been building toward. This is what I really want to talk about. Because for people who might not understand why I'm so obsessed with this and why, look, I was like, maybe I'll watch an episode and like, let it go. Like, I'm just, I have a little bit of curiosity as somebody who, you know, sort of came up on the original series about what's going on. How are they going to handle the absence of Samantha? You know, I like to be in touch with the zeitgeist. But when I saw the scene that I'm about to play a clip from, when I saw this scene, I knew that I had to stick through this to the very end. <laughs> because this was levels of cringe, as you say, Olay, that is unlike anything that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I, I purposefully seek out and consume bad content. Like, that is my thing. I hate watch for <laughs> everyone. People who know me and follow me know that my favorite thing to do is to go on the West Wing thing podcast. And when they asked me on to, they said, listen to one episode, watch one episode and come on and discuss it. And my uh, self-hating masochistic self watched like five seasons of the West Wing thing. Oh my God. <laughs> to catch up to where that episode was because I like doing this to myself. So everybody buckle up. Apologies if you already listened to it on the episode, but you're going to have to sit through this one more time. The setup is this is Miranda Hobbs walking into her first day of class for her master's degree. And she's entering a room where all of these young people are sitting in a circle and there's just a couple of empty chairs uh, scene. Hey, that's where the professor sits. Oh, sorry. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, sorry, he just told me. Someone's quick with the pronouns. Uh, it's fine. I am the professor. Y you're the professor? Yeah. You're Nia Wallace? <laughs> Why do you seem so surprised? Well, your braids. A law oh, professor can't have hair like mine? <laughs> Why is that? Oh, no, no, no. I didn't, I didn't mean because of the braids. I was, I was, I, I was yeah. just thrown because the braids are, are so different than the hair in your photo on the Columbia website. My oh. comment had nothing whatsoever to do with it being a black hairstyle. I, I oh, knew that Jesus. you were black when I signed up for this class. Uh, that was important to me. <laughs> you signed up for this class because I'm black? Well, not just because you're black. I picked this class because you're such a force in academia on top of everything you do as a community <sighs> activist. God, I sound like such a brown nose. I mean, um, <laughs> Please just forget that I ever said anything about your hair. Hair has nothing oh. whatsoever to do with uh, appropriateness oh. or intelligence or gravitas, oh. obviously. I mean, do I look like someone who attaches any oh. significance to hair? I, oh. I let mine go gray, and I don't care if it makes me look old. Not that I'm ageist. Do I sound ageist? 
You really want me to answer that question? I am so sorry for taking everyone's time. This is not at all who I am. I will just be quiet now. Okay. <laughs> Yo, my favorite thing is when white people say, do I look like someone who would something they just did? <laughs> I love when they do that. I, I once had an argument with this white guy who liked me because I, I was mad at him. I was mad at him for not speaking up or, or something or something like that, right? And he was like, do I look like somebody who wouldn't support the movement? Yeah, bro, we're having a fight about you not supporting the movement. Like, yes, yes, you do, sweetie. Like, um, maybe you're white. Yes, yes. Like, what are you talking about? Yes. Um, so, so it, like, part, and I said this on the podcast, but part of what I was so upset about is because the rest of the way that she's written, honestly, she's one of the characters, historically, she's been the char- character that makes the most sense and is most in touch with things. And so it seems more implausible than some of the others that they would write her so cartoonishly over the top. No, you know what? I actually, I'm a get him this one. As someone who I, surprisingly enough, I know this, this isn't going my very blacky black, black lifestyle, but I have watched Sex in the City in like 92 times, no exaggeration. <laughs> it's ridiculous, like un, un, unreasonable, just like continuously, right? And funny enough, quiet is kept, the wokest, and, and none of them are woke. Let me just be clear, right? If we're, if we're using mm-hmm. these terms, right? Uh, Charlotte. Charlie Charlotte, used to try to check them. True. Charlie used to try to check them on being on being problematic, right? The episode, the mm-hmm. only times they ever discuss race and sex in the city is when um Samantha's sleeping with the black guy, and you know that mm-hmm. they they get real racist, real racist the whole episode. And Charlotte's like, no, bad, you know. And then when um Miranda starts dating yeah. um Blair Underwood's fine ass, and Blair Underwood, seasons, and mm-hmm. she's listen, let, the, problematic the whole time. And you remember how that starts because she was watching um she was obsessed with the that slave day. show. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. yes it breathes. She was falling in love with a literal slave on TV, and then decides yes. to, to match on her black Listen. neighbor. Yes, and the minute they break up, she has to accuse him of a crime. He must have destroyed the TV in the hallway because he's so pressed over me. No, it doesn't shock me that Shorty would be problematic as hell. <laughs> they just weren't giving us occasion to see it. That's true. That's true. I still have never forgotten the episode where was it Samantha that was dating the black guy, and they went yes. to eat at a restaurant. And it was a sister's restaurant. restaurant. Right. And they had this scene where they had the potential to actually talk about the complexities of interracial dating and the disproportionate skew of why why it is culturally, socially that more black men date out than black women. They could actually address it. They tiptoed right up to it. And ended up just making the sister like an angry black woman for no reason, uh-huh. acting completely inappropriate. And then had Samantha diss her okra, and then make Samantha out to be like the the victimized right. white lady, like oh, right. she doesn't like me for the color of her skin, my skin. <laughs> right. Yes. She did a whole colorblind MLK speech in the booth of her restaurant, and like stormed off in a tizzy. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like. Also, it just doesn't, you know, but ain't no, ain't no black people behind the scenes because, like, and I think that's shown even in this like weird, cringy scenario, right? Because like no black person would have responded that way like replied to her we wouldn't have made it worse right. this is a suffering experience for all of us but she would right. never would have right. said you took this class because i'm black like to stump like you wouldn't have right. said that you know what you, you know what this white lady trying to stumble through like we're all suffering like when ain't no one no one would try right. to drag that that on longer but i will say this i can't shoot miranda no bail because at first, right, I kind of gave her the initial, like, you know, they just checked you about being in the chair, so you weren't quick, you know, you don't know who teaches it. But what made it worse was that she was like, oh, it's because your hair is so different in the picture on the website. Also, sweetie, you know me. 
So you know me. Right. So you know me. Right. We started like the listing off the ladies whole resume. How impressed you are. So you mean to tell me you're so impressed with me? You know all my work. You remember my pictures. You know all of this stuff. Right. But you don't know me with these big girls. Don't play at me. See that made it work. <laughs> I was like, damn, damn. I was afraid. Right. I was like, so now she invisible. She changed her hair, and you couldn't, you couldn't tell. You didn't. A hundred percent. You know, this reminds me is one time early in my writing career, probably my first or second article. There was a comment about it on Daily Coast, like people like you know, you could publish your own little like, you know, letters to the editor or whatever. And somebody <laughs> had published, you know, I could take seriously a commentary about identity politics from someone other than a white male but, or a white person. But I Googled Brianna Gray and I just can't listen to any more of this identity politics screed from another white person. That's crazy. They, that's actually, and I was like, maybe wild. they got infected with whatever delusional disease Miranda is operating on in this episode where she Googled her, looked her up, but apparently she only had one single solitary hairstyle in every picture she ever came up with. Listen, listen, people be, they be saying things that don't make no sense. I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, you never have to agree on a comment, but from somebody and you're like, it's interesting. Like, you seem, you're talking to me like you're familiar with my platform, yet somehow this ideology <laughs> just don't see what you're espousing. What are you attributing to me? Like, <laughs> so, so, Ole, before you came on, I also played the clip of um, Charlotte coming home and saying to her adopted daughter and her dog, I'm so glad, you know, they're sitting together on the couch and she says to the room, I'm so glad I adopted you. And the daughter says, oh, are you talking to me or the dog? Right. Right. Okay. So like between that scene and this scene and all the other woke scenes where they like ritualistically humiliate Miranda being extra with this one black professor of hers. Who do you think this is for? Why do you think they're doing this? I, I don't know honestly like okay if i put on my conspiracy theory hat right like <laughs> i'm like yo this could either be that you know they're there this is a horrible attempt to try to what relate to what they think you know younger people are the internet and all that trying to bring those viewers in or some nonsense like they don't it's something like that or or this is the deliberate <laughs> attempt to paint the extreme frustration the white people are having with like, oh, everything we do is a problem. Look how we're trying, yada, yada, yada. Like, you know, it could be that. Um, but it, you know what? It could just be an abomination. It's really terrible. That's what, like, that's, <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. It really, it really is abysmal. I'm like, what is this? This is out. And also, hold on, I have to say this because no one else, no one else has spoken on this injustice. And I really have to say it. They wrong as hell for putting that wig on Nicole Ari Parker. Like they put that terrible wig on my girl. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So for people who don't know, so they don't have the Samantha character anymore and they have, it looks like they're going to try to replace her with this actress, Nicole Ari Parker, who they literally refer to on the episode as black Samantha. Like someone makes a joke. Like one of the gay best friends makes a joke about black Samantha. I will say this in, in the sex in the city people's defense. She sometimes just doesn't have good hair on shows. Oh, like no, this no, is not no, the no, first no. bad hair piece situation I've seen her. She's a beautiful woman. I really love what she and Boris Cujo have going on in their whole familial di- dynamic. I root for them. I root I, for her. This a wild old lady wig though. No, this wig. This, this <laughs> no, this wig. This wig is is somebody hates you. Somebody, somebody personally has a problem with you. You kick somebody in the knee, 
there's somebody <laughs> no because i listen i've seen some, some weird crimes and i do you know i watch star i've seen some stuff da 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 but listen no i ain't never <laughs> i ain't listen i if i didn't i had to explain to the people in the room like you don't know this but this right here is a body you can't tell what's happening on the screen <laughs> all right because disrespect is afoot because they want to make her be able to keep company with carrie dressed like robin hood like they need they need to offset that somehow so they play in my girl but they played my girl okay i was like this is i know they wrong in 4k they wrong in the new in the new world that's really i was like wow they've disrespected violated she really is dressed like robin hood with that little pork pie hat on her head yeah okay yeah i think that what they were doing a little bit with nicole Ari parker was maybe trying to also give her samantha vibes because samantha did have that little like lob like Samantha ain't never looked raggedy a day in her life. <laughs> Samantha ain't never looked raggedy a day in her life. Samantha ain't never had on no raggedy. I hold on, hold on. I was gonna say no raggedy wig. That's not true. The last season where she has where she's going through chemo, they put she they, is, they, has some, literally no, they chemo. Yeah, against my girl, they really did. But we're just gonna overlook that. <laughs> like we're gonna overlook that. But okay, well. While I have you here, while we're on the subject of uh, Nicole Ari Parker, I want to play you this clip because we didn't talk about this on the podcast. The yeah. the shoehorning of the ra- of the of the uh-huh. black character, they were like really going to let you know that it was a black character. What did you think about this part from the first episode? I just this twenty year old out of Jackson, Mississippi. I came across online. She's amazing. Oh, it's great. Oh my god, who ordered the French fries? Okay, so I let me let me set that up a little bit because I didn't clip that well. But basically, they're meeting her for the first time at brunch, and Carrie compliments her bracelet, and the response is. I just this 20 year old out of Jackson, Mississippi. I came across online. She's amazing. She's great. Now, maybe I'm being overly sensitive, but lady, you tell me if I'm being overly sensitive. But this felt to me like we are going to introduce a black character. We're going to introduce the idea that there are black fashion designers and we're going to do right. it all in the next six seconds. We're going to make her rich and put her in the white <laughs> robe and have her talk about her connections to the. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Correct. Yes. You're right. I, I, and, and by the way, this was in the first five minutes of the episode where we also were treated to and excuse me i gotta do a little bit of a sound effect we were also treated to an obscene focus on carrie's new profession i'm on that podcast podcast i guess you're passing is younger too i love you to death but i draw the line at podcasts she listens to the podcast How many times are they going to talk about Carrie's new podcast and the fact that she's on Instagram and how that basically makes her in touch and with the youths? Oh my God. And it was terrible. (laughs) Okay. I see some people queuing up and we're going to take questions in a second, but I do want to let you, I want to unpack the full sartorial horror that was in particular this third episode. You watched it, right? This most recent one. I think, I think so. I think so. I think I remember being outraged. So this is the one where basically Carrie realizes, okay, so her husband, big, dies at the end of the first episode spoiler alert you guys know that already and we need to talk about that too because there's been some mr big news some christopher north news in the last day or so but um she basically realizes that her husband has left a million dollars to his ex-wife in the will which in the context of the show we're meant to understand is not a huge amount of money for mr big it's not like he's preferring the ex-wife over Carrie but he's throwing her some change is how it's presented in the show um, to his (laughs) ex-wife which throws Carrie into a tizzy because she is now questioning again whether or not Big really chose her or something going on behind the scenes do they have a continued relationship there's all this stuff I didn't know about my husband and all the insecurities of the Sex and the City era are coming back to her even though she's been happily married for the last 10-15 years or however long it's supposed to have been Right. and in this episode in particular 
Ole, the levels of 2008 fashion, <laughs> every single character, I count it, every single character on the show is wearing a belted dress with a voluminous skirt. They better not be trying to bring that back. A belted dress. Look, no shade. I was right there in 2007 with my little high-waisted belted item on, you know, and my little kitten heel. Like, I was right there with everybody else. But I don't understand what they're doing with this show where the whole point is the fashion and the aesthetics. Like, we are not here for trenchant social commentary. I, I, listen. <laughs> I, it's hard to tell whether it's out of touch or trying to do something, trying to make a spin, trying to bring it back, but they, they're missing the mark. They're missing yeah, the mark. It, it is rather embarrassing. Let's get some, let's get some of these um, gentlemen in the mix. I'm going to take the first <laughs> caller, uh, Free Assange. Welcome back. How you doing? What you feeling? What's up, Bree? How are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well, thank you. What's thank on your mind? Back in. I haven't heard this uh, current podcast yet. You guys are... Uh, um, making it interesting, and I'm going to listen now, but um, not <laughs> always been a sex. Apologies in advance. <laughs> to kind of bounce back to something you mentioned earlier and $75,000 mm-hmm. tuition. There's a, uh, mm-hmm. and I hope I can like kind of not fully focus on the intent of this, uh, this podcast or this call in, but, um, there's a current move to uh, do a student loan strike. And I wanted mm-hmm. to, you mentioned 75,000 for Columbia master's uh, education, ma- uh, getting a master's degree from there. What's your opinion mm-hmm. on a student loan strike? Uh, we had a whole episode on it with Asher Taylor over the summer. And at that point, I noted that it was likely that, you know, we had the end of January date as the end date that Biden was saying he wasn't going to push the student debt moratorium beyond. Uh, And I asked Astra at the end of that episode, you know, what she made of that and whether or not we should be planning for some kind of debt strike, what that would look like and what that would require, because I was still feeling pretty scalded from the force the vote backlash where the main counter to it was we didn't have enough time to plan. So I said, hey. That's six months out at the very least. What would it take in the abstract? And, you know, she answered. And I'm, I'm going to try to pull that clip right now. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's been as much kind of, of a media push as I would have liked to have seen to alert people that that is a potential political alternative. Let me put that to you, Ole. Like, how would you feel about the prospect of a student debt strike? You know, honestly, it, it, I feel like I can't and I can't be the person to make a decision on how I feel about it. I just want to support be supportive because i don't actually have any student loans i'm an immigrant you know i can't have mm. i can't have that um with a student visa you have to be you have to be able to pay out front or get out um, mm-hmm. um so i feel like that's not my that's not my testimony and i just want to you know what i mean because it's easy if something is in here you don't have it you don't have it you don't realize like oh this is a problem or this is what it is but all my friends have student loans and so i know um so i'm just in support of whatever the, is best for the collective that's what they want to do i'm behind them 100 percent yeah, I hear that. Here, let me let me play this clip and you can hear straight from the horse's mouth what she said when I asked her this question. If Biden doesn't follow through on this promise and the student debt crisis continues to grow as it does, what do we do next? And is some kind of debt strike on the table? We have a power problem here. 
And so I don't expect Joe Biden to keep any promise out of the goodness of his heart. We have to build the power to make him do that. And so absolutely, you know, we are only where we are. The only reason that we are having a conversation right now, me and you, about student debt cancellation is because the debt collective organized the first ever student debt strike in 2015. Mm. Um, that is that economic disobedience is what got people's attention, what scared the hell out of the Department of Education and the Obama mm. administration. And, you know, 100 percent you know, debt strikes have to be done strategically. You have to, you know, an individual default is not a strike. Right. Just, mm-hmm. you know, like with any so labor how, how strike. Does work, yeah. though? Like, how, how, what mm-hmm. does that look like to organize either? You mentioned earlier um, uh, mortgage debtors. What does it look like to organize? student loan debtors in a way that makes it seem like it's not just individuals hanging out on a limb, that there is a, a body of people. Like what, what would it take? You know, organizing debtors is, is a lot like any other kind of organizing, right? Get people who have the same, have a common condition to identify with each other mm-hmm. um, and to agree, you know, on strategies and to take action. We're up against the white house that, you know, also has a solution staring them, them in the face. In other words, they have an alternative to, con- they don't need to turn on the payments. They can cancel student debt using compromise and settlement authority, right? The Department of Education literally requires a signature and your federal student loans are gone. And the debt collective actually wrote the executive order for Joe Biden. I do not recommend that people refuse payment unless they're organized. So a debt strike is absolutely 100% on the table. Uh, it just is one of the various forms of power we're trying to build. And again, you know, the the mechanism is clear. You know, all it will take is Joe Biden saying, Secretary Cardona, you know, mm-hmm. used your compromise and settlement authority to cancel student debt. Okay. So you guys know how I'd be asking that same question. And so, yeah, I remember I that. I, I love people. Like, I love Astra. I love that people come on the show. But it really does feel like nobody wanted to be the one that said we were going to do this. She says it's, an, it's, a, it's a thing that's on the table if we organize it. And then nobody is going to, nobody organizes it. Yeah. Well, I guess that's why I'm jumping in and trying to ask you about this when the subject is uh, sex in the city, <laughs> which this is not that. Uh, I, I've been in a bunch of Twitter spaces lately about people trying to organize this and, you know, we need we need more help. Is it something that you would advocate for, Brianna? I know you talk. I've been advocating for it nonstop for six months. But I, you know, me me sitting here, it's like what Astra says, like an individual going out on a limb and not paying is not the same thing as a death strike. And when you have an organization like Astra's, that's whose whole purpose is to organize strikes and who's done it in the past. And then people are like, hey, Brianna, you're a random podcaster. You should organize a death strike. It's a little frustrating from my perspective. Can you, you know, imagine that? You know, I have her on the show I, and I say it's yeah, six months that. out, you should be organizing that, a debt do, strike. I am not in a position about to student debt so much is why well, I because I have student debt, my friend. I know, <laughs> yeah. I get it. And I did too, and I'm fortunate that you know I've been able to pay it off. It wasn't that much. My parents helped me go through college and you know, I'm fortunate, but I'm a strong advocate of this of this issue and of trying to at least hold Biden accountable to the 10,000, like that's not enough, but I, I just, you know, there's, a, there's a group on Twitter that I keep running with and they're not paying on January 31st. They're, they're not going to, they're mm-hmm. not, it's a group of like 50 or a hundred. And I'm just trying to like figure out how we can grow that from 50 or a hundred people to 
you know, thousands or tens of thousands. That's a really valid goal. And I, you know, I wish somebody had been calling for that six months ago because the energy is absolutely there. I mean, I, there was an account I Instagrammed uh, a couple of days ago that has like 3000, sorry, 3 million followers and did this super viral, like meme compilation of Joe Biden's, you know, promises here. I think I found it. Can you hear this? No, you can't hear that. Oh, wait, 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 because I'm knocked off of their student debt as we try to get out of this god awful pandemic. And so what we have to do is we have to make sure that you get the opportunity. That's why I'm going to eliminate a lot of your student debt. If you, in fact, are if you come from a family less than 125 grand and you went to a a public university, I'm going to make sure that everybody in this generation gets ten thousand dollars knocked off of their student debt as we try to get out of this god awful pandemic. Okay, but like, where is that energy right now? You know what I mean? Well, you should have known. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was saying, you remember our refund? <laughs> right. Remember that? Right. You remember when they started right. doing math the minute he went into office? And you would, and you would right. close them when they were like, no, 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 minus 600. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and people are like, this is, I keep, I keep saying this and I'm not trying to say like, I'm getting my political reporting off of like the shade rooms comment section, but honestly, I'm trying to be honest about the fact that I live alone in a studio apartment and I work from home. And so my interaction with the world is limited and I am acknowledging my bubble, but the fact that mm-hmm. I'm out, not in my lefty Twitter space, but out in my like pop culture, random, like black news consumption space, I'm seeing people pissed off at this. I mean, the other memes in this carousel are like, uh, this is this is like Joe Biden promising to extend student loan debt put over this noise. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Right? Like, the whole carousel is like nothing but bangers. There's one that's like, you know that, that meme of um, Kim Kardashian feeding um, uh, Kylie after she got eye surgery and like yes. teasing her with the food, like not putting it in her mouth. But yes. but the mom is Joe Biden, the daughter is student loan relief, <laughs> and the food Listen. is student loan relief. And like she's like, will not put it in her mouth. Do you know what I mean? Like people are pissed. I know it me for like hundred dollars since the top of the year, so I knew it was <laughs> <laughs> right. Like the, like what what is frustrating? Why I'm so frustrated, Free Assange? It's not about you. I'm sorry, I don't mean to go off on you, but like I I feel like all I, I can, can take do is it. scream and. Like I'm, I've, these guests come on, and I'm trying not to disrespect the guests, right? Like I'm, I don't want the, me to feel like it's, I'm blaming them for not having better solutions or not having identified the problem and acting in uh, with enough alacrity. But at a certain point, like at this point, we're doing this show for over a year, seeing how people like, the answer is right there, and nobody will do it. You know, like I had, I'm not, I'm not trying to blow people's spot, but I had someone who was an elected official. <laughs> ringing me up being basically like what do we do <laughs> and i was oh, like oh i've had those conversations oh my god are you still like i'm appreciative that they had enough confidence name that in me person and, like, please i'm flattered on some level and i want to have a good working relationship with them and i want to be helpful but also like it's a real light bulb moment like oh my god people aren't making choices about this strategy or that strategy not being useful they actually have no clue yeah yeah no i've realized that that's that's something I realize all the time when I have conversations with people, people that you would think would be, you know, educated on these things. Like you telling them the sky is blue, grass is green, and they've never heard it before. Right. There's there's no plan. There's nobody coming. There's mm-hmm. no one organizing a student debt strike. 
you know, there's no one who's willing to kind of put themselves on the line and say, I support this. Like, I will stand by you. Because the, the, the Astra was making some good points, right, about needing to support students um, and not leaving people out on a limb and, and not asking people to basically walk into the fire and not have protection, right? That's my only reservation. Yeah. I'm not an organization like Debt Relief, uh, uh, Debt Student Debt Strike, that has the infrastructure to do that. I'm an individual who is much better financially situated than a lot of people that I would be, like, leading into battle. And so I don't feel like that's appropriate for me. Right. But me personally, right. Me personally, I support it 110%. Like, yeah. Well, I, I guess my question really is, is how do we get people who are worried about their credit scores, worried about being able to buy a house down the road to engage in it? What, what's the compelling argument to, to somebody who, who like has a lot of student loan debt, who has in, you know, been better off with the pr- reprieve of the last, you know, 18 months or 20 months or whatever, and who's going to be drastically harmed by having to pay their student loans again on January 31st. But, you know, they don't want to engage in a strike necessarily because they're worried about their, their credit score because they want to buy a house down the road or they want to buy a car. They want to like, how do we get it to hit a mass point where it's worth something where we're actually winning and I don't, I don't know because I don't know that world of wanting to play house in a car. <laughs> but like, look, I, I, I joke, but the reality is there could have been mass action before this. There could have been months of protests. There could have been months of of events held in front of the White House. There could have been a month outside of representatives' houses en masse. There's 44 million Americans who are going to be affected by this. 44 million. Right. And we don't we, we got like God bless Bernie and them Huge. doing the Kellogg strike and supporting Starbucks workers. I support that 110 percent. But like also people could have been mobilizing around this in a similar way. And we get, you know, some good tweets. Ro Khanna was tweeting up a storm. I saw Elizabeth Warren doing some good media hits, making some good points about how when this student debt payments get turned back on, it's going to take what 85 million dollars out of the economy. Like. I was kudos to all those efforts, but nobody's doing direct action. Nobody cares about your tweet. And nobody cares about your CNN hit. Yeah. It's 44 million pissed off. I was just, I had to go to Cleveland um, for a family event on Wednesday. And I came upstairs, my regular, regular, schmegular working class family. I came upstairs. I'm, this is not a conversation I started or was a part of. I was in the basement eating lemon pepper chicken. I came upstairs and extemporaneously they were in the middle of a conversation about student debt cancellation and how they were tired of Biden and how they didn't understand what was going on here. And like, why won't he fulfill any of these promises and how they're still waiting for their check per Ole's point. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So like th- this is, this is what it is. It's going to cost them. And then they're going to be and then you know, what's going to happen when it costs them in the midterm, then they're going to be like, Oh my God, it's the, it's the left and blah, blah, blah. Right. And all of this, and it's like, no, yeah. it's because y'all don't do nothing that the people who voted for you uh, asked you to do and that you promised to do specifically. It's crazy. Right. Like, it's really nuts. It's really wild. Like, but that's really the type of time they've been on. It all kind of feeds back into the same problem. Like, how do we finally take a stand against them and tell them to, f- can I curse? <laughs> Fuck off. Can I yeah, tell them, how do we finally, like, p- put the establishment in the position where we're like, fuck off we're not taking this abuse anymore we need help we're not taking this anymore like do something make our lives better and stop making elon musk's value like go from 30 
billion to 200 some billion bill gates like 70 billion to like a hundred some billion you know like fuck you we're we're done with this Look, like how do we, like I what's the cajole what's i can't tell anybody not it? to pay their student loan debts that's between them their god and navient but my <laughs> perspective and what i've been saying since like last year and I've been saying it with more and more bass in my voice because as I talk to more and more people, I have become increasingly confident about the realities of the world we're living in is that you have to have a credible threat. And if you're not willing to have make the credible threat being not paying your debt, which is real, right? Like I'm in a position now where I could put, I could, I could put a meaningful chunk in this when this stuff starts back up because of my ability to save not having to pay all that interest for the past two years, Right. I'm like ready to, right. but like, I'm sitting here with this ethical conundrum. It's like, do I just randomly ruin my credit? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> a lot of people's credits already ruined. I would, I would argue. And that's, you know, yeah. m- most Americans who have been struggling, you know, who, who say that it, what the spigot being turned back on is going to meaningfully hurt them and, and be difficult. Like we'll put a real stress in their life, but like, I, you know, I'd be willing to do it, but like, I'm not just like everybody else. I'm not going to do it for a lack of an organized movement i'm not going to do it just to randomly take a ding and j- then try to be black and b- have bad credit trying to buy a house sometime in this economy like right that's not gonna right. that's not how it's gonna go down but it is frustrating to me because i felt like that was a moment and an alternative moment like i've been saying since last year a meaningful threat that costs nobody anybody any, anything on their credit score but could conceivably cost you the presidency is right. withholding your vote yep that's those are the things. And I say a lot I've withheld my vote since since twenty. Well, a lot of people are like they stay home and da 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 da. I don't think that that is as meaningful a political message because that could be written off as indifference and all this stuff and they always like shame voters. Well, why don't you care? Da da da. You have to manifest that you are a voter, that you are someone who will come to the polls, that you have a political opinion and it's something other than the Democratic Party and also something other than the Republican Party, because if you vote for a Republican, they're gonna say, Oh, you're a lost clause, you're a you're a deplorable anyway, and we don't have to pay attention to you. What you have to do is vote. I would argue for a third party. And that is why, even though I got a lot of shade for it, I will, I will have MPP on. I will have Andrew Yang on talking about the forward party. I will have green party on. I will have all three of them on at the same time for a debate. I hope we can put that together because we need to put our heads together and decide what we're going to do. In 2020, be better than Howie was, though. I don't care. I don't care about Howie. I don't care about. I voted for Howie, but I did not like. I vote. I liked voting for Jill. That was a great vote. I I've been shit on countlessly by and you know an endless number of people that know that I voted for Jill Stein. But I'm proud of that vote. I don't tell too many people about. But that. But but. Free Assange, that's not the point. The point is not whether or not Howie is good or bad. Sorry, I can't see your whole name when you're in the caller's list. But the the point is that it doesn't matter. It's it is it's the thing that they always accuse third party voters of being performative or symbolic or whatever. It is very symbolically voting not for the Democrats. And so I don't really give a crap if it's Howie or Mickey Mouse in the in the in the catbird seat. That that has to be the political decision that's made. Now, to your point, now that we're all this time out, we are in a position where we can put to you know, put together, put someone credible and someone who might be able to attract additional people who aren't necessarily wanting just to make a performative vote. And to Andrew Yang's point, we also have to be talking about ranked choice voting. So they can't politically um, frame this as, um, uh, you know, a spoiler situation, but you know, I'm going to have to move, I have to move on to the next call, but I appreciate you. Thank you for your time tonight. I appreciate you guys. Um, Nick, welcome back. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. 
What's on your mind? Uh, I have far less substance than student debt prepared. I'm so sorry. And I also don't really, uh, I can't weigh in on what I imagine is just like liberal. Oh, <laughs> terrific. <laughs> I love it. I'm here. I support Great. it. Great. Uh, and I don't really have a comment on what I can only imagine is liberal Hollywood penance for <laughs> Cynthia Nixon for supporting Bernie and running against a Cuomo. But uh, <laughs> no, the, the thing that I wanted to know about, because I was kind of curious that this didn't come up with your succession uh, discussion, which is, uh, I guess I've got two questions about that. One is, what was your take on the uh, the Bernie Sanders analog in that show, Gil Evis? And then the other thing was, there was a, uh, Peter Rieger was playing this character that's like the ultra left-wing anti-corporate lawyer guy that Craig sees, but like somebody needs to explain the joke for me because I don't know what that guy is supposed to be an analog for, and I figure two lefty lawyers in a chat got something that I didn't with that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it. Oh, like you said, no, I don't want to Yeah, I don't. I don't know what that lawyer thing is either. I. It's the rare, I think, kind of shapeless character for me. Other than it's supposed to be a stand-in for his uncle's eccentricity and inscrutability, you know. I, but I don't. I don't understand it either. And to be honest, I, I guess just the framing and presentation. I thought, like, are they trying to like fusion dance Ralph Nader and Noam Chomsky or something? Like, I just didn't get it. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't even know if it's that deep. Um, unlike a show like uh, the West Wing thing, where there was a very clear, you know, not Bernie Sanders, more like a Ralph Nader, Ralph Nader analog in that show. Um, and they let him get off some good points and then they kind of magic it away with the Sorkin-y words that are supposed to make sense and justify why no one has a soul or, you know, humanistic impulse in their entire body. Um, but at least they, it was, it was clear that there was a, a political identity that the show didn't agree with, but it was presented clearly enough to understand what was happening and then they waved it away in this show i don't get it i'm so glad i don't watch uh, the west wing thing like i would tear my hair out if i imagined like aaron sorkin go i'm gonna i'm gonna undo everything great about ralph nader and yeah well the thing is what's interesting about the show is like he says what he says and it's right and so when the show tries to get around it and explain why the neoliberal president we're all supposed to be rooting for is actually the good guy they both basically just fall back on like pragmatism style arguments but what's interesting watching the show in retrospect is that if you have you know any politics at all it doesn't land and so they unwittingly tell them themselves and let the good politics out of the gate as it were what did you think about it sounds like you had an opinion don't well i i guess another comment on that west wing thing uh i i've never watched the show but there was that one clip that every was everyone was trading for a hot minute of like jimmy smith's talking about like liberals did all these things so i'm a proud liberal but then everything that he mentioned is like everything that ralph nader did in the 60s mm -hmm. uh so that was weird but um no the succession gil evis thing uh because i i didn't watch it when it was first airing but i uh watched it like i don't know early on in the pandemic when the you know 2020 bernie campaign was already cooked but uh I, I don't know. Their whole take on the analog for him, I, I just had a, a feeling like, I guess I appreciate it, but also feel like they don't get at all who this guy is. Uh, like, mm. you know, showing up to, uh, like, the as a guest to the Murdoch daughter's wedding or something. Don't see Bernie Sanders doing that. Or, like, you know, pleading with Fox News to not make incendiary claims about him. 
Uh, oh yeah, I forgot. About, you're reminding me now, but I honestly had kind of forgotten the character. You guys remember oh, details from like three or four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's re- it's more recent for me, but yeah. Okay, you know, I was watching it when it came out. I, when the the two TV critics that were on the episode kept making references, and I was like, "How do you remember? Like, how do you remember that?" <laughs> but they obviously had to rewatch. I mean, they do this for a living, so they they watched it more recently. But yeah, I, I will say, Succession. I don't. We should talk about the politics of Succession, and just because we are focusing on Sex in the City, people should feel very comfortable asking questions about Succession and giving their Succession takes. But it is interesting to me that the show both doesn't really engage with left politics at all. Like other shows will even throw a bone. Like I remember watching Insecure and knowing that the character that plays Nathan, the actor that plays Nathan, was a Bernie surrogate that I was on the campaign trail with and is lovely. There was a line in the last season where they're guessing how tall Bernie Sanders is. And there's like a tone of kind of shade in the room. Um, and they're all like guessing that he's much shorter than he is. And then it turns out Nathan is like, Oh, he's six foot. And I maybe projected onto him that he was the one in the room being like, don't clown my guy, Bernie. Like he's good. Like he's six foot, like there's some respect <laughs> in his name. And I get a sense that there is a tension between the politics of the different writers in that show on succession. I like, I don't even think about it for the most part. And yet they also managed to not do things that piss me off. Like most shows that weren't actively leftist are saying things that take me out. Like, Sex in the City, where there's this throwaway line in the first five minutes of the first episode where Charlotte's trying to convince Miranda to dye her hair and cover her grays and her, like, you know, exclamation point final argument is Ruth Bader Ginsburg dyes her hair. Oh, God. Yeah. So, like, I'm surprised the succession doesn't do and say things that irritate me politically while also not seeming to have any lefties behind the scene or in the writing, writing room. Let me know if you disagree. No, you may have pinpointed what hasn't uh, turned me off from the whole concept of the show. Uh, so I appreciate that. You've, you've made me learn something about myself. Yeah, no problem. By the way, I just found the, the scene from West Wing thing. I went through my Twitters while we were talking. Check this out. This is the Bernie Sanders character. You may have counted, and it was not an insignificant change. You started off with, we will not cut Social Security, period, and wound up with, we're announcing the formation of a bipartisan Blue Ribbon Commission to study new options with regard to Social Security. What exactly is the danger in studying new options? What's the danger in the White House getting behind my reform bill? Converting general revenue into the trust funds is not reform. It's the only Social Security reform bill supported by any Senate Democrats. How many votes did you get for it last year? At the White House, 18. The White House, 82 U.S. Senators think your reform bill sucks. So unless you have a plan for picking up a majority, I don't know what's so wrong with saying we're open to hearing new ideas. And compromise essential Democratic Party principles to cut a Social Security deal with a Republican? Simply not what we're doing. If your commission recommends raising the retirement age one day, reducing benefits one dollar, Reducing colas. If your commission recommends partial privatization of Social Security, I will condemn it as the act of a group intent on destroying Social Security. And ruling the galaxy. Oh, you think this is a joke? You think I won't publicly condemn a member of my party? Oh. The president's not a member of your party. He's the leader of your party. Submit to leader. Demonizing people who are trying to govern responsibly is the way to protect our liberal base. And speaking as a liberal, go to bed. Would you please... You're running to the right in the environment. We admonished environmental terrorism, please. You're in favor of it? It was a cheap shot. You lost a lot of friends that night. We made more than we lost. And then you go on TV this morning with this ridiculous defense of a cop who kicked the crap out of a black kid because you guys don't want to admit you screwed up in the vetting and he never should have been invited in the first place. Seniors, environmentalists, African-Americans. 
You tell me which you think has a greater chance of happening. My reform bill getting passed or the president getting reelected without the three groups I just mentioned. You just named three groups that will never desert the president. Not unless I run as a third party candidate. No. Oof. Um, Am I right? I think that was really (laughs) selfish of Ed Bakley Jr. to uh, make it so that the analog for George W. Bush wins after uh, Martin Sheehan. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how, how, how pressing is that? Like, Bernie Sanders, first of all, Toby, if it's not clear, we were supposed to be rooting for the one word monosyllabic Toby who's proud about uh, trying to cut Social Security here which is like a whole season's worth of objectives. That's the only real win that the um, the administration gets is that they successfully cut <laughs> Social Security. But having the Bernie Sanders character say that you've just alienated Black people, <laughs> environmentalists, I don't forget who else, I don't know if gays were in there, et cetera, and then Toby coming back with those people will never leave us anyway. <laughs> which, you know, has had some truth up until present. Right. And then the, Bernie Sanders coming back, Ralph Nader, whatever you want to call him, coming back and saying, unless I run third party. That's where we are, guys. That That is an episode of TV that's like 20 years old. And we're still at this juncture of, are we actually going to do this third party thing? And I'm sorry, like, I don't understand. Like, I, come on, tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me what other way out of this there is. Tell me how we're going to magic magic joe biden into being good or successfully run aoc and she's also not turning hasn't turned into a monster by the time she's gone to office explain it to me i'm all ears but this is where i am i'm at this place that aaron sorkin unwittingly led us to 20 years ago um and i don't mean to monopolize more time i can make this really fast i i have a take on the why the third party thing isn't working yet is it because we haven't we don't have ranked choice voting and open primaries and we haven't had a real third party candidate and Bernie Sanders refuses to actually go and run third party at the end of a presidential race where he has 30, you know, 50% of the democratic electorate behind them already. Sort of those things. I mean, ranked choice I could do with or without, I mean, cause I don't really even honestly believe in the spoiler framing of things, but um, I'll, I'll try to make this really fast, but so there's there's two things. One, there's this uh, TED talk from a couple of years ago where a guy explains the whole problem with uh, third parties, especially the whole reaching that 15% polling threshold to actually be included in debates. But the point that he makes is really smart, which is if anybody on that, uh, if you're getting called to take that poll, then the real way that you should frame that question is it only makes sense, even if you're lying to say that you support the third party candidate to get them uh, actual like register, sorry, uh, as an actual factor in that pool, because no matter what, the Democrat and Republican will be represented in that. So the real purpose of that question is just who do you want to see? Because no matter what, corporate parties will be included. So it's incumbent on you when asked that question, even if you don't mean it, to say that you want the left wing third party person or you support them or you'll vote for them. But um, the other thing is this, which is uh, maybe this is really stupid, Brie, but have you ever heard of the Monty Paul, I'm sorry, the Monty Hall paradox? No, I haven't. What's the Monty Hall paradox? So there was this game show in the seventies where, you know, uh, you've, you've heard a version of it before that there are three doors behind door number one, behind one door, there's a fabulous prize between two of them. There's goats or gag prizes. So the thing is contestant picks one of the doors the host shows one of the doors where a gag prize is behind it. And then ultimately the uh, contestant has the opportunity to either stick with the door that the door that they originally picked or switch choices. 
So they've actually run this through multiple simulations and all of the math objectively points to in that moment, it is statistically twice as likely for you to win by switching doors at that point. But the reason why people don't do it is because um, really it's it's a state of irrationality. Even if people are presented with the info that like changing that choice overwhelmingly will lead to a, uh, the, the prize, people are so worried about changing their mind and being wrong that their actual fear and their impulse just kind of keeps them on the track that they're on, even though all objective information around them tells, it, tells them it's a losing one. And yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, oh. I don't, I don't think that we really, you know, the the problems, the difficulty of doing a third party is not really, I think, obscure or what's in question or what needs to be debated, and that's part of why I appreciate Andrew Yang for not just having identified the problems and talking about the problems endlessly, which is a thing that sometimes happens on the left, but just to do the thing that needs to be done, which is to start trying to get an inf- a voting infrastructure together. You might not, you might be agnostic about ranked choice voting. I think most people. And when asked specifically why they would never do it, vote for a third party candidate, they not only evoke a th- a, the spoiler problem, but publicly in the media, the spoiler issue is the number one tool used, weaponized against third party candidates and used to marginalize and malign people like Jill Stein and uh, uh, Susan Sarandon and Nina Turner and myself against our political choices. So I think that the way forward is to get a little bit away from, oh and- gosh, third party is difficult. I think that everyone's like, extremely aware of the difficulties of a third party since the last time we had a third party candidate win was Abraham Lincoln. And we need to start being supportive of candidates that are people and people if I may, that are doing the right thing. And and I would believe that if Lisa Savage had won her Senate race in Massachusetts where there was an actual ranked choice system. But the problem is, is that like liberals can't really be relied upon to vote against the Democrat, even if it is there's a more left-wing choice that would be the safer one because at this point, I think their actual actions aren't really... I, I don't think they're honest. I, I mean, ranked choice voting relies on a Democrat actually voting for the more left-wing candidate given the opportunity, and and I don't really believe uh, it anymore. I think no, though. I mean, that's the opposite kind of of your point, right? If they're not doing it because it's safer, like, it's not the safer choice. That's why people um, historically don't um, vote for a third-party candidate. In a ranked choice world, they do have more opportunity. There's more chance to see that create steam. And if, if, you know, even with what you said, you know, that's only one example of someone with a ranked choice. But I also think you have to recognize that it's not happening overnight in a world where ranked choice gets um, introduced in different places and people start to be able to see that these candidates can at least pull support that there is more possibility where it creates more traction for that to happen in the future for one of those candidates want people to get really behind them and for and, that to happen it's a process you know and i see what you're saying it's just i i don't i also don't believe in like wait until we get right choice well, no one's saying wait making... until that you've kind of imposed that yeah. sequence onto this conversation andrew yang is doing all of the things at once and trying to run candidates as soon as 2022 is my understanding. So thank, thank you for that, Nick. There's a bit of a cue that's coming up now. You might have sparked conversation and I'm excited to talk to Brian because I know that he's going to bring us back to some sex in the city. I know he had some things to kiki about, but thank you for that. I'm going to go to Alan next. Yeah. Thanks for the time. Okay. Alan, you're up. Alan. Unmute yourself. You're muted, boo. Oh, Alan. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> there you go. How you doing? 
I'm doing great. I, I love your show. I wanted to, to touch on uh, Succession for a bit and on the, the oldest brother uh, in his, like, campaign for president. And, you know, I, I thought, like, it was kind of weird that, like, the, I guess the people at HBO kind of recognized, like, they just, like, that was that whole episode scene where they uh, were choosing the Republican nominee for a president. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a microcosm kind of for like, like, kind of like a, a you know, a, a less sophisticated rendering of like how our political system works on some level. And I'm just wondering, like, I think that maybe the the this is an instance where, or do you think maybe where reality has kind of gotten weirder than the the TV show? Because I think in like, you know, our Earth Earth One, I think Connor is or has become like president a few times now. Like that kind of that specific kind of guy who's not particularly motivated. Uh, on a corporate level and he's kind of lazy and but he's so just self uh aggrandizing that that you know he his ambition is just boundless and he's got the money to do it and so i'm just wondering do you think that that like that you know maybe success is not really real enough in that context yeah so Olay, for some perspective for you and other people who haven't been keeping up with succession there's four siblings in this family. The eldest brother is from a different mother than the other three and is in kind of a secondary position, it seems, in the eyes of the family, despite being the eldest brother. He made a lot of being the eldest brother in a scene in the last episode in this finale. And he has articulated presidential ambitions over the course of the show, which are really poo-pooed by the family because he never showed any real interest in being the successor to his father, who is basically a Rupert Murdoch figure ahead of this media company, this Fox News style company. And there were these moments during the season where it seemed like the father might be a little bit open to the idea of taking him seriously in a run for president because as the head of Fox News, ostensibly, it's not such a crazy thing that he would have gotten picked. And at this meeting where they were picking the next president, you know, there was this moment where the father seemed to, it's unclear how sincere he was, but entertain the idea of Colin being president. I wouldn't write the show off too early, Alan. I think that next season, I fully expect for there to be a sincere presidential run here. I fully expect it. I I, I really hope so. I mean, and I really would like to see Tom like kind of, I mean, I, I, I really am not core the whole like, one partner being like, you know, a prisoner in a relationship thing, but it is just kind of refreshing to see Tom kind of uh, climb back on top of the power. Well, he was never really on top, but finally get, I guess, on top of the power dynamic between him and Shields because she's been just letting him know the entire series that she doesn't love him. I mean, it's not a, it's not even a secret at this point. And I guess it, she kind of just broke the, uh, broke the illusion for him, like right before he kind of was, uh, accepted into the dad's good graces and they were kind of pushed out. And so, so right. I just, I'm wondering what your take on that relationship is. Do you, <laughs> I mean, Shiv is monstrous and it's delicious. And, you know, I mean, there's no good guys in this entire thing. So as much as I enjoy Tom having his moment, I will also enjoy whatever Shiv does to shiv him right back in the guts <laughs> and get back on top. What I really hope is that this is a moment for growth for Shiv where she stops kind of like, fidgeting in the sidelines and making these half-hearted attempts to assert herself among her brothers. And I hope this is something, this is the kind of fire that hardens her into a worthy opponent and perhaps a worthy successor to her father. I have a really hard time believing that Tom is actually going to have any sustained victory here because of the nature of Tom, but you know, well played Tom and we'll see what happens next season. Thank you, Alan. All right, Brian hit me with your takes 
I've seen you on Twitter. You have thoughts, feelings, and opinions. You know, you've been waiting for this moment to talk about Sex in the City since I first started tweeting about the first episode. Lay it on me. Yeah, I'm back with more Sex in the City conversation. Uh, <laughs> hi, Ola. It's nice to talk hey. to you. It's an honor. You had me laughing Aww. during the um, dating episode. And, oh, look um, at that. <laughs> it's still one of my favorites. Yeah. I could talk a lot about, about the adoption line because that really, like, personally affected me the most in, like, TV mm-hmm. in recent history. But I might just save that for Medium because it's very, <laughs> it's very intense and it's, like, the most disrespectful <laughs> thing I've ever heard. But, I mean, um, I kind of want, I mean, if you wouldn't mind just giving, like, a line because for those who don't know Brian or haven't been to a room before, Brian is an inter, tr- interracial adoptee. Is that the terminology? Feel free to correct me. Uh... Yeah, Transracial adoptee yeah. is more common, I think. There you go. But yeah, okay. yeah, I was adopted from Korea. Uh, I'm Korean and Japanese, and my mom is Italian. And the whole um, making the kids say, uh, you saved me thing is like a joke. Mm-hmm. It's just so interesting because in Korea, um, a lot of people don't know this, but a portion of um, the adoptees uh their paperwork is fraudulent and the kids were actually taken from the birth families without their consent mm-hmm. it's like a whole corruption like u.s imperial nepotism like mm-hmm. quid pro quo thing so um was that the thing with madonna too that she got in trouble for like fudging some mm-hmm. paperwork over her kids it was some like she the, the baby wasn't actually up for adoption she like mm-hmm. muscled the lady into giving her the child or something mm-hmm. something like mm-hmm. that yeah so (laughs) um i guess like people really love being saviors or whatever and like that's fine but um and you know it's complicated though because um i personally am very close with my mom Mm -hmm. so i don't have the same feelings that other adoptees like feel and as you know like no community is a monolith Mm -hmm. but a lot of a lot of adoptees that i meet like in my groups like on facebook and i'm also on a group in new york city in real life called aka which is an adoption um like affinity group Mm -hmm. um they did not bond with their parents and like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like identity um relational stuff like going on and just uh that the show is so like (laughs) Clearly, like, the, the writer's team either didn't adopt a child themselves or, like, they did and they, they were, like, not the best people to do it. But it was just It's so... also, like, what, what are they... A lot of white people just have a white savior mentality, too, like, in general, <laughs> right? So imagine in a situation where they literally think they saved somebody. Like, that's how they feel. I mean, like, if we keep a G real, like, it's not even... It's not really surprising. <laughs> that's a behavior that we see in a lot of work. Like, a lot of things. It's also kind of interesting what they're even trying to do with these two daughter characters because, okay, it's clear that uh, with the other child, with the biological child, she's going through a gender identity journey and it's about whether or not her mo- that their mom is going to be able to handle it, right? Um, right. And it's, and it's and interesting. It's almost like they feel like they have to, they, they, they feel entitled to complicate or add something extra to the parent-child relationship to the biological child in a way that they probably wouldn't have the chutzpah to do about the adopted child like it's like hands off with the adopted child and they have a certain level of sensitivity so they're not doing sensitivity they're doing this weird line and then basically not giving our personality outside of being a model kid who plays the piano really well because they want it to be like quirky and surprising like oh 
your biological white child is actually the ooh, plot twist, but your your adopted child, it's perfectly like what you would expect. You know what I mean? Like right. that's, that's what that's what they that's what they're going for. Um and it's why. Yeah, I mean, like, if we're keeping it, you know, honest, like, the four main women from Sex and City were never great people. Mm -hmm. It's just like they got away. Thank you. (laughs) They got away with it because the social climate was different. So now they're trying to, like, insert the same characters into 2021. And it's just coming across really forced. And it's manifesting for me, like, feeling a lot of ways with Miranda because Mm. this is a spoiler alert. And I'm also doing a little bit of, like, um, of a guessing game but it seems like to me that they're trying to like have her build to like a hookup or relationship with um sarah with che right and i find that very interesting considering like we know cynthia nixon's story since she's the progressive Mm -hmm. person with the guts to actually challenge andrew cuomo Mm -hmm. and also but i don't know i yeah I don't like it, and I don't. I don't think I'm being like internalized homophobia. <laughs> I um, I don't know. Well, it's you know what's funny? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. I well, now that you say it, you know it's crazy. It, it really went over my went over my head. That that's even what they were trying to do because in my mind that makes so much more sense. Because I was like, why? Why doesn't Che want to want to be high still? Because I don't see what's cute, what's funny about this. <laughs> I, I, I was like, why are we laughing this off? I was like. What are you talking like? Curse that bitch out! Like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, now that you said it just now, I was like, oh, okay, right. Because I was like, why? I don't understand. Because we're indoors now, I shouldn't be jazz. Why? Like, I, I, I really didn't get it. But that makes a lot more sense. But listen, if you keep, if I keep it a hundred. First season of Sex in the City, that was it was always kind of out there that Miranda don't seem too straight, right? That's the, they were always implying that. That's why it was an episode where the partners thought she was a lesbian and they mm-hmm. set her up um, with a lesbian. And then you know, and in real life, Cynthia Nixon is a lesbian. And in in the show, Cynthia Nixon has always been giving, serving up lesbian looks, um, like you right, know, yeah, like, yeah, always, always. And I think. Um, so I think if they were going to go somewhere with, if they wanted in any way to make this show, like be for some reason, be a part of the cultural times, which it really, let's be honest. I've watched the show a million times. You could watch sex in the city 50 million times through, and you wouldn't have any idea what's happening in the world outside of the bubble. Because they, <laughs> you wouldn't have any clue. You have no idea what's the political climate in New York city by watching the original sex in the city. You have no, you have no <laughs> clue. Yeah. There was I, a very I, special stop and frisk episode. Like, no, exactly. Like there's, no, one episode, you don't piss me off. The episode where Burger after Burger dumped on the post-it. Um, she decides, you know, she want to go have a wild night because she's upset because of the breakup. So she decides to smoke weed outside. She gets quote unquote arrested. And the arrest is like, they put her in the car and she's out there like at the diner later. I'm like, okay, what New York City is this? <laughs> like, okay, white lady. I'm watching this show, like, whatever. Um, so my thing is, they, if they were going to go somewhere to need to be in the modern day, the only thing that actually is realistic is I could see um, uh, Miranda being a lesbian, like realizing she was a lesbian and da da da, and this is the next thing. Um, what I could see that before I could see them having it where their her and Steve haven't been sleeping together for years yet again, and they're pretending like this ain't a problem. Like what mm-hmm. again? Didn't we just do that in the movies? Haven't you learned you gotta fuck your ass? Right. <laughs> then, but that's actually a little cheap to me because it's like they're setting Steve up. I I just wish they had put a little bit more in the way of breadcrumbs earlier because what it sounds like is they're taking a very tried and true plot line, which is people's sex life dries up over the course of their relationships and setting Steve up to basically like, like they want to let her off the hook for what she's about to do to Steve. 
You know what I mean? Oh, well, let me tell you something. I want to be clear. mm -hmm. They could try as they might. Ain't no world in which anybody is taking Miranda's side over Steve's. Like, I don't think, (laughs) like, I don't know if they think that people ever watch the show from that lens, but I know me personally, I ain't never been on Miranda's side. I love Steve. Except, except, uh uh-uh. When 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 he when he broke up with her because he couldn't afford the suit, I was like, oh, that's, I was like, that's a real bum bitch bed, just Steve. So you went anytime. Because okay, let me let me take it back to the dating episode for a second. You were asked that yes. a question was raised about whether you would date, given our lefty politics and all this stuff, men in a lower income bracket. And people in the comments noticed that we all kind of ended up stepping, sidestepping around this question. So are you now telling me that as much as we are Steve fans back in the early aughts or wherever, whenever that was airing? Oh, I was going to curve the shit out of Steve. <laughs> I was going to curve the shit out of Steve. Listen, listen, a broke man is not my testimony. That's not my oh, minute. <laughs> no, no. You gotta... I'll put my cards on the table, too. I think my minimum is 40000 a year. This is 40, New York City. Forty? Yeah. Look see, at the forty. See, oh, oh, sweetie. Oh no! What? Forty? Oh, I can't even breathe. You said forty, and I was like, Jesus Christ, my rent. Oh my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, Lord. But it's a pickle, as lefties, for sure. But I don't want to. T- no, no, it's not actually that much of a pickle. Maybe for everybody else. Let me tell you. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you. I keep it real. First of all, listen. Um. I don't accept from no man anything I don't accept from myself. And you can't make less money than me. I don't accept that in my life. Like, that's crazy. Also, like, I am the broke friend. You know what I mean? I'm like, people are doing better and better than me. You can't be broke than me. How are we going to struggle? How are we going to make, make it? The duo is just going to struggle together. We're going to split 50% of nothing. I can't do that. <laughs> I love how Olay is not scared. She does not care if no. she gets any pushback on Twitter I after can't this. Fight me. Like cards on the table. Olay, okay. But let's answer this question before you go, though. Oh, Brian, scoot out. Okay. No, you're still here. You're still here. Yeah. What? Okay. So I watched episode three, and at the very end of episode three, sorry, spoiler alert. This is not a spoiler. Like this stuff is predictable as the day, the sunrise and the sunset. There, she like so Miranda go like the girls all go to Chase Netflix. Uh, re- special recording, which I thought was an which was not tra- funny. It was, it was very. It was giving the. It was not a funny show. It was, it yeah, Nanette, <laughs> which is neither here nor there. Like Nanette has its place in value, but like it was giving like testimonial. It was giving the moth radio hour. Yes, yes, yeah. You know, I was, was like, where is the joke? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. <so confused>. Terrible. <laughs> right. It was not giving le- Netflix special, which I also thought was an interesting choice for an HBO show to give her a Netflix special. That was kind of a rebuke in some ways to a Chappelle show style special. And there was like a line in there about how everybody who says that we have to present this way or talk this way that felt very like Netflix targeted. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole other thing. When, we, when everyone's all caught up on that, I would be happy to do a discourse about what we think about that scene in its entirety. But at the end afterward, the other two sex in the city ladies decide to go home and, um, our girl Miranda decides to go to the after party in a fire red jumpsuit. I would just like to say that the attire was very hit this entire episode. They had everyone with the wide belt belts on. They had our girl Charlotte, who's Miss Prim and Proper Upper East Side, wearing a T-shirt under a spaghetti strap dress. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Truly like it was 1997. <laughs> the choices. Yeah. 
I don't want to take up too much time, but um, if you need something next, Bree, to watch Hate Watch, because I do think you're going to hate it as a lefty, because I wanted to love it, but I hate it. Um, Harlem on Amazon Prime. Okay, Harlem. Oh, um, I'm going I'm, I'm to like it off the strength. I love Megan Good, <laughs> and Tyler Lefty is my husband. Yeah, but, exactly. Like, <laughs> as progressive, like, I don't know. I just really don't like okay. that show. Uh, wait, wait, why? Don't, 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 don't let him go. No, okay, Rihanna, okay. I got to know. All right, why? Tell. What's wrong? What, what about it? What's the what's the end, the pro- end to your progressive heart? What's not right? Tell me, because funny enough, my well, sister is the- in the group chat right now talking about this is amazing. So my, so I got to hear <laughs> the black women in my life of saying, so I got to hear why you don't like it, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first episode is literally like um a zodification of an Asian tribe and like that's what the whole um story is built on. What? But <laughs> mm. um it's like oh like these women in Tibet like they get to run the show. So for your class assignment in college at Columbia University, you have to act like Tibetan women and order the guys around for a month and write a paper about it. I was just this like is, in the black show as black women, we need instruction from who and how to order men around. That's what Megan Good told her her students in Columbia because she's an adjunct at Columbia. She said that everybody yeah. with Columbia. Is she teaching white women? Yeah, I mean, like you know, it's Ivy League, so it's it's you know, that it's not so. it's perfectly diverse. Yeah. See, I don't yeah. want to comment on that because because it, it's just so out of left field. Like, never did I think you were gonna. I, I just this is when I thought we I thought we were going with this. <laughs> so I can I can fathom that was the episode plot. I don't have a rebuttal. Like. All right, well, we'll have to circle back yeah. to that one. But I was just gonna say that at the end of that episode after the comedy show. Uh, Che and Miranda are down there in the club together and Che asks Miranda if she wants to shotgun a joint and so the episode ends with her sensuously blowing smoke into Miranda's delicately oh, parted I, lips. I, I hate people who don't really smoke like, like I mean I'm like who, who like shotgun a joint like, what, what is this is this 2003 like who like what this is this supposed to be sleep? no one's doing that like so yeah out. that did not get Miranda high like, <laughs> like shotgun like oh that's <laughs> <laughs> well i wouldn't think thank you brian i won't hold you sounds like you have some place to be you're you're, you're always oh, i just don't want to i don't want to monopolize the time but thank you all so much this makes my week I appreciate Yo, you're it. you're the best thank you brian <laughs> all right happy holidays Bye, ryan. Happy holidays. um yeah i had a, i recorded an interview with slavoj zizak that you know people should subscribe and listen to for monday's episode but it came out that i thought i was the oldest person in america who had never smoked weed but it turns out he is. Oh, and he's not. You've never America, smoked but... weed. I mean, not that I'm saying that I've smoked weed. I'm just, <laughs> but <laughs> I am. I am independently commenting on your reality. <laughs> but you've yeah, never smoked weed. Somehow, like literally, the, the thing is, it's like I have literally never even been offered, like in a social context, which probably is, is even more is even more a condemnation of my nerdiness, you know. But I can. There was one time in college I remember actually being in a room with people smoking weed, and it was when I, speaking of Columbia, I was visiting a, a high school a high school friend who went to Columbia when I was home on break, and I went to there. I was actually two friends from two different high schools who both ended up at Columbia, and they ended up dating after I introduced them during this night. But anyway. <laughs> I, I went to her room and her roommate was smoking pot out of a rolled up Howard Dean poster out the window. Wow. I respect the gangster. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 respect, I respect the ingenuity. <laughs> but yeah, like literally, I think because a living, everyone lives on campus. Um, 
everyone lived on campus in college. If they had RAs, people would have smelled it. Like, I wasn't really do that. You were the RA. I was an RA. Yes. And so, were people up to up to shenanigans? I, I was the never, only one. Well, you know, I, you know me, Rihanna. I never uh, reported people. Um, <laughs> on my on the only write up I ever did, I was listen, and I was sick about it. Like there was my first night, and I was on duty with this other RAs, this white girl who, funny enough, smoked a lot of weed, and that's an important part of this story because <laughs> she she, she like smells this kid's like weed from his room or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. she's like, oh my god, just this was the most obsessed behavior I ever seen in my life. She like knocks in the door. We can hear them like rattling around, like hiding, throwing everything out, and I'm good with that. Let me, you know, give them the time. Let them let them get it get like get rid of it it opened the door she does this whole big like sir big scene she calls the police like she calls the police <laughs> on this kid and i remember i remember him like it was yesterday if i saw if he came to my door i'd know him like I, he literally freaks out he freaks out he literally like he starts like panicking has a panic attack and he basically passed out and i was Aww. like and i'm just like oh my god this girl had me up here being the ops on my first night i was about to say i rid him up i every time i saw him for like the next year i apologize and he hated my black ass every time <laughs> like oh like i want to be playing this siren song every time you come in the podcast. no i was listening to Scott. i was distraught you know i believe in it like i i never wrote a soul up i would literally just like let them rock we like have conversations like you could come sit in my 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 room and you could curse this person out you have a problem with them we could do that we, have the we could do world star whatever you want to do but i am not <laughs> reporting nobody <laughs> okay ole we're talking about sex in the city of succession and i feel like no one's really talking about the sex or lack thereof in this show okay thank you let's talk about it let's talk about sex let's, let's talk about it because i'm glad that's the one thing i'm glad they actually turned attention to by having that corny ass cringe podcast that um carries on because mm-hmm. the one thing that purpose that served was showing which has always been the truth about this show these they're not particularly sexually progressive they're not wild they're not living their best life they don't have no like they've never been sexually anything carrie what carrie has missionary sex with one man who don't like her like that and every <laughs> once in a while like he might go find her a new dude but these ain't no like no nobody on the show is particularly sexually liberated or educated at all like except for samantha you didn't know how has you mean to tell me You've been with Big. You've been trip over this man for decades, and you've never seen him masturbate. Because what kind of sex we all having? Like I was, I was outraged. I yelled at the TV. It was so bad. You tell me all like forgive you know for back, y'all forgive me, but you just crazy for Big, and he not even taking you down. Like for real, like really, miss? That was nuts. It was nuts. It was nuts. That's crazy. Like, so, the, so, so for for set up people, she was she's on a podcast, which I gotta hit the podcast button. Oop, that's not the podcast button. That's the Star Trek button. Hold, give me a second. Give me a second. Give me a second. Give me a second. I'm on that podcast. Podcast. I guess your passing is younger, too. I love you to death, but I draw the line of podcasts. <laughs> and the podcast is essentially all about sex with, with Che, who we were talking about earlier, who's going to end up in this relationship with uh, Miranda 100%. And the whole conceit of this podcast is that it's a sexual podcast, but what it ends up doing is exposing the extent to which Carrie, despite the fact that she's a sex writer and this whole show is about sex in the city, is herself a big prude. And this scene that you're talking about where she's asking her husband of decades, you know, boyfriend of decades, husband of at least 10 years or so to masturbate in front of her. She literally first asked him, does he masturbate? Like they have never had this conversation. That was the craziest thing I ever heard. In the, in the whole course of their marriage, they have never had a conversation about this. Also, the idea that a man, you think a man that barely wanted you for the first 10 years. You <laughs> no, for real, let's keep it real. Like, what was, it, it took a lot. It took a lot for Big to want 
just you, sweetie. You think he doesn't masturbate? Okay, and then, and then the idea that Big was gonna do it. Like, that that is just not who Big is as a character. Big is someone who will not, like, not that it is humbling or demeaning to do that in front of her, but, like, it's, like, obviously fine. Hashtag sex positivity. But, like, that is not the character that they have written in Big for him to be like, oh, okay. This is the first time you're bringing it up in 20 years, but let me whip it out and get this Vaseline out the drawer. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah listen and it was very uncomfortable it was, I was uncomfortable. Like, why now why now i was like i don't want to you know i'm not gonna slander y'all but this ain't this ain't y'all you know this, this ain't y'all prime it's not your prime <laughs> I, I don't know if i need this i i am already i'm already invested y'all need to show me this <laughs> now on the other end of things the other sexy that we actually got was miranda's son 18 year old son 17 oh year old son, whatever he is brody whose girlfriend lives with them because quote uh I liked her. Like Miranda says, I liked her, so we let her live with us. There is absolutely no evidence of why they like this girl or that they like this girl. Oh, where her folks are? Like, like where are they? Where are her parents? Because you can't just like like children, so they live there now. Like it doesn't work like that. Right. <laughs> like, like there's a line in this most recent episode where Miranda's like, "Did we accidentally adopt her?" Which you did not. And also, right. somebody called CPS. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, we did get that very, very uncomfortable. That terrible. That was that was wild, even for teens. But do you want it though? Like, because you were you seem like you're kind of cringe about the idea of Big and Carrie having whatever that masturbatory well, session it was, was going to be. Because it's because it was cringe. It's because Carrie is cringe. Carrie had yeah. cringe sex scenes in general. Like, have you ever seen when her and Burger was trying to have sex or? I must have blocked um, it. No, I was watching on cable, so they they cut those scenes out. Oh, child, listen. <laughs> Carrie does this thing in general, and she does it consistently. It's actually been working my F word and nerves for about 15 years. But <laughs> she giggles, like, a lot. Like, she does this thing where she thinks she's, like, a, it's, like, a girl, like, flirting. Like, you know, that's why she, like, mm. refers to people. <laughs> Ma'am, you are a grown woman. You might have pension. I have had enough, Okay. <laughs> Say what you need to say. Like you mean to tell me this man? She didn't, like when he started masturbating, she started doing all that bashful stuff. Miss, yes, right. You better look him dead in the eye and commit to this. You'll be no, honestly, you damn right. Like, like you need to be honestly. She acts. Carrie acts a fool at any of the slightest, the slightest sexual stuff. When, when, when she went out with the the bisexual guy in his twenties, and she kissed mm. the girl during spin the bottle, and she ran mm. about it there like he'd put her through, <laughs> put her through so much. Then when she dated the politician, and he suggested peeing on her, and she, oh, I can't even live. Then, I mean, uh, I mean, listen, listen, <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, I, I, you know, I just want to be clear before anybody gets <laughs> the sound bite. <laughs> I am not saying that that is that is that is a common activity or anything, but it's the response. Like a normal, if you're if you live a life enough where you're allegedly so sexually liberated, so sexually free, or whatever it is you claim to be, that your your whole job description is I am a sex columnist, I write about sex. Then boo, I'm a need for you to be about sex. You might not be, you shouldn't be wilding out at the suggestion. You could say no, like I'm not really here for that, but it shouldn't be this like oh. Oh, yeah. Let me talk to yeah. everybody I've ever met. I can't even think about it. Oh God, I think I might not show up for the next day because oh, what if he makes me Right. I mean, it really does also expose this into which the original show was this very 1998 version of like radical sex talk, which is like talking about the fact right radical sex, sex existence or so like sex. oh there are there's a vibrator call the rabbit. Oh what? There's people are using vibrator. Like that was the level of the discourse. No, but honestly. The thing is, Today, now that they have this podcast, I'm on that podcast. <laughs> I feel like we're going to end up not actually talking about sex. The the way that sex is is being filtered through this contemporary lens is not about the sex act. It's about all of the 
you know, sex, you know, new ways that people identify sexually. So it's like sexual identity politics. I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's about, you know, pronouns and LGBTIA issues. It's not about people wherever they land on the spectrum actually boning. Right. But like my thing about this is, is like, right, that's whack. Right. Like, <laughs> like, right. Like it, it, it's whack because honestly, I don't know about y'all. I don't know about everybody else, but I know me. I don't really care to hear about sex from a bunch of people who are not fucking. And that's <laughs> like, no, for real. Like that's what the show is like. What, what, like what? I don't need to have this discussion with y'all. Like I'm educated. I'm a scholar. If I want to talk about sex, you're like, you're like, sweetie, I went to school. You know, Mariah might be figuring this out late now. Like I already know miss. So get the cracking, give me content. Like, well, do you think Black Samantha is gonna be like the real Samantha and inject some sexuality into this with her kind of cornball element looking husband? On, you think someone that puts on that wig and a show <laughs> is fucking? That's what you think, Rihanna? Like she's gonna give us? <laughs> that's where we're getting it. <laughs> like, yeah, really show, ma'am. She did have a show. She looked like she was dressed up as like Rafiki and the Lion King. Yes, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shaman style character. <laughs> She had a on a show and lunch for some fries. Oh, I wanted to talk about that, by the way. Like, Let's talk about the fries. Yes. Okay. I'm like, you know what? I've watched a lot of white lady TV in my day, right? Like, and and you know, forgive this, sweethearts, but like, they have been known to be out of touch with stuff like that. But with, with the like the eating, mm-hmm. the slim, the skinny, what the fries? Mm-hmm. But I thought they knew. I thought that even they had caught up to like that's not the ste- miss. Who's this? Who is this for? Like, who who, who is the market that still would have felt like? What woman do you know that's like, oh, fr- fr- let me get a couple should of fries. Oh like, my God, really- should we? Let's hear it right quick for people who didn't hear it. Sophia, I came across online. She's amazing. That's great. Oh my God, who ordered the French fries? I'd have to know you a lot longer before I confess that. <laughs> Can I have one? Sure, they're cold, but they're still greasy, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> so bad. They're good. Oh yikes! I'm gonna be like, I have to go do a podcast. They're like jury duty. <laughs> I'm on that podcast. Podcast. I guess you're passing as younger too. I love you to death. But I draw the line at podcast. Oh my god. Oh my god. Like what? What? Like the idea that Carrie's still like you mean to tell me this lady like Carrie's like that's what I don't like about the whole character like what they've done right? It's like Carrie has always been a character like little to no no character growth like none Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Never ever any. And in so many ways, especially the fries thing, they showed me that. Like, lady, you might be sixty-two now, and you're still on this bullshit. Like, you still, <laughs> like, you still on this. Like, you're still saying shit like this and living by this fry mess, ma'am. Right? Like, <laughs> what kind of? But yet, I'm suddenly supposed to believe this character who I've never shown has never shown any growth, never made any better decisions, and has been. You know, relatively weak ago, forgive me, but the whole series now all of a sudden she's she's so strong, she can't cry, she she next she can't be around Charlotte post the death of this man. She couldn't get up and breathe when that man used to break up. She, listen, forget that. <laughs> she didn't know she couldn't live her life when she broke up with him because he wouldn't say I love you or whatever when it was out of the steps to go to the trip. Then God forbid when he got married. I can I can yep. think of at least six different occasions where Carrie lost her effing mind. Right. Over, over over Big's absence. Now you mean to tell me he's dead? And she's, okay. Okay, sweet. Like what? Like no, they, they, I'm like I've had enough. You're not gonna tell me simultaneously about fries and strong enough that she's okay with her husband's death. No, it can't be. All, it can't be all both. You got to pick a struggle. Oh, like to, in, in her defense, she did show one bit of character growth that I can think of. In so far as she 
quit smoking. Oh, word. <laughs> she quit smoking <laughs> during the series. And, you know, she also quit fries, apparently. Listen, <laughs> my daddy quit smoking eventually, too, when the doctors made it very, very clear. <laughs> that it was no longer a choice for him to make. I mean, the irony is, it does feel like a poll-tested decision. Like, the viewers didn't want to see her smoking on screen anymore. But I think the average... uh Upper East Side, New York viewer who they're aiming for and targeting with this, or Connecticut viewer or whatever, 100% still is on my Atkins diet, is still doing keto. That, listen, but you're whack though. Like, my thing is, if you're going to let her, like, listen, I'm all totally fine. And I said this and I stand by this. I, everybody, if you're listening, I am pro letting these white ladies just be white ladies in their white lady cocoon. And that's fine. Let them be, let them be full scale, the problematic that they will, they would be in the way that we don't, we accept they wouldn't be because we ignore it. We're, we're now in the white world for the whole period of time in which we're watching, watching Sex and the City. And that's cool. We could do that. Or apparently we have to do this awkward, terrible world where they're cringing me to death, trying to make yeah. them be like evolved in like, you know, a part of this new world. And I'm saying, if you're going to be a part of this new world in all these other ways, then maybe lady, it's not like a hot take to eat fries. Maybe like we, right. don't that, we don't have that bit. Like maybe we eat. Well, look, right? the hand with which she plucked the cold, greasy fry from the plate was adorned with the neck by a bracelet that was made by an <laughs> independent artist from Jackson, Mississippi. So it all evens out. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> Honestly. You know, the more that we talk about Carrie, the more that I am starting to be a little bit offended that when we play the game, which girl are you? I would get Carrie. You know, I, I the funny thing is, I think that's just, you know, take that as just like, because we're Leos, like that's just being main character. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because they're all pretty whack in their own rights. <laughs> but it's just, I'm a lawyer. Like at least like throw me a little bit of Miranda or something. Do you want to be Miranda in real, in actuality though? I mean, I don't want to be any of them in actuality. I, like, I can't, we couldn't be any of these women, but if we really think about it, like if we're honest with ourselves, let's just take it out of the world of like how you feel about it. Or that. Miranda's <laughs> a miserable bitch. Like, like, like no, like, Miranda hates life. Like, she's unhappy. Miranda is miserable and she damn near what Because apparently she's been closeted all this time, so maybe she can get a little happiness this season. Right, like, hopefully. But ain't nobody want to be like Miranda, mad as hell all the time, gangbanging on happiness. Well, let's talk about who I, I think the happiest character is probably Charlotte. Exactly. Yeah, that's the one to be. Yeah. Because she's so naive. Like she's so deeply ignorant and naive in her book and ignorance is bliss. Moreover, did you see in the, in this recent episode, the most recent episode that maybe you haven't seen her husband, Harry, like she was the one who was supposed to have settled, right? Uh She wanted this Ken doll looking dude, but she ended up falling in love with her divorce lawyer who was like a little chubby, bald, sweaty, Harry, Harry, Harry was, Harry was piping her down. Let's let's forget. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And in this, there's a scene where Harry kind of, runs to the bathroom while she's on the phone to take a leak and it's you know still loud and crass the way that Harry's supposed to be but he's not looking and maybe this is I'm telling on myself in my own age that now I'm just fully peeping men in the 40s right like, yeah, this that, is that, my Harry looked a little good like, Harry, Harry look pretty good and Harry has been on the Peloton himself listen <laughs> I always knew Harry I, listen Harry Charlotte, Charlotte and them live in that world where like, you know, white ladies are just like inherently valuable. So like if you're cute and you could read and you could write and you have like a little bit of money, you're entitled to like, no, I'm sorry, like, no, but she does. Like, that's not even slander. I'm not even, y'all don't even get mad. Don't even get mad. I'm not even, I'm not even coming for y'all. I'm just saying that is a world, right? Like we're talking, that's a world that exists. 
exist. Charlotte lives in that world where she just thought like it's very assembly line. Like I just I want she thinks she's real gorgeous. She wants some gorgeous man that she thinks is like real, you know, which is what she got out of Trey. And so for yeah. whatever reason, Harry to her was that kind of deviation. But to anybody with good sense, if you had sense, Harry was always like a like, you know, he's a white guy, he's a relatively cool looking white guy with money, with bread. Let's start there. I like when white guys shave their heads bald. It gives them a sort of an ethnic look. I, 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 yeah, I like, I like bald. (laughs) If a a man's fine, like bald, bald is is hype. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. bald go crazy if he's fine. Um, If he's not, then you know that's just between him and Jesus. But, (laughs) but, but but Charlotte, anybody with sense always knew that Harry was the one. Like to me, punching down. I think I and. and I right, he just wanted him a nice. How I met your mother. I just want to say while I'm at mm-hmm. it, Marshall was punching down with Lily, and y'all can all fight me. Everybody get at me, at me, fight me. I don't care. <laughs> so Charlotte thought that's looseness by her lonesome sweetie because the only thing she brought to that relationship was that uh, was the house which she got in that divorce that Harry got for her. Right, so that's I Harry's house. Clear. I just want to be clear. That's where she got it. She didn't have no bread <laughs> till Trey left it behind. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Okay, so. We we do have to talk about this Peloton incident, Mr. Big, at the end of episode one, has a heart attack or has a stroke on it. Okay, how Carrie let him die. Okay, we didn't talk about this in the podcast, but your your team, Carrie needed to stop cradling him in his last moments and get on my cell phone and call nine one one. No, 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 no. Let's not. No, no, no. That characterization is inaccurate. Let me tell you what. Let me tell you what happened. Cradle him in. No, 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 no. The man had a heart attack and did not die. He did not die. He's sitting upright. He said he fell to the ground, but ah, like a smart man for his own support and stuff, he got himself up and hoisted himself safely upright where he was, waiting for his wife to come and call help for him. Let me tell y'all what this goofy, goofy bitch did. He walks in. Like, I just want to know how long it takes you to process that your 60-something-year-old husband sitting in the ground in the shower looking what like what is she confused about mr danger of foot emergency may day may literally in that moment i paused to see and i was like you know what this is what i've been saying the whole time harry ain't never been good for shit this is why big moves were, like no one ever talks about that everyone always talks about how big is a piece of shit how we treated carrie has are we ever going to talk about the fact that carrie's not exactly top tier woman like are we ever going to talk about that like are we ever going to address it that perhaps he was treating her at the level of her work because he knew that at the end of the day we had a fucking heart attack this would not be the woman to get him help she she not only takes 25 seconds to process that something is wrong she then runs over and pushes the man onto the ground back back onto the ground where he had gotten himself up she pushes him into the water comes out of his shoes so she could dramatically wet him up well, I was like, this is the stupidest bitch ever to race television. I was like, oh my God, you finally got this man to marry you just so you could kill him. <laughs> oh, she made me sick. Murder. Murder. I was like, yo, they need charges for shorty. <laughs> you know? I'm crying. And there were all these like close-up cameras, shots of the phone in the water. So I thought yes. I was going to be like, Oh, she tried to call the 911, but the phone was wet and it didn't work. No, she didn't even, her goofy behind didn't even try. Didn't even try. She didn't even try. She thought she was going to will him back to life. (laughs) 
cannot be for real. She, she thought the white tears were that powerful. <laughs> okay, okay. So when this happened, my first thought was, okay, I can't believe Peloton signed up for this. Like, I really can't believe, like, this seems like not a good look for their bike. Then in the next episode, I noticed there were a couple lines dropped by Miranda to uh, Steve on the way to the funeral where she was like very clear. Oh, it wasn't the Peloton's fault. It was like hashtag limited liability, like liability waiver. You know what I mean? Right. Like it wasn't the Peloton. He was Peloton actually keeps you healthy because it helps your heart health. It felt like an ad. Right. And I was yes, like, okay, I they were clearly in cahoots with Peloton over this. And then I saw the Peloton ad. I heard about it with Chris Noth, right? Yep. Yes, I heard. Um, I, I I I cannot. I'm about to. I'm about to play it for you. Can you? While I find it, can you explain the conceit of like how the Peloton featured in the episode up of, until the death? Like what was Big doing on the Peloton? Bill Big was riding his. He was riding his Peloton, riding his Peloton, doing his whole little bike routine for the longest, getting real into it, amping it up, and then he's cool. Then he gets off the bike, and my man has him a heart attack. Right, and there was like a woman on the on the thing oh right? on like, the screen the, the this little, yes yes the little little in the little video instructor okay i can, for some reason can't find it, so i'm just gonna youtube it okay um so mr big peloton ad so to be clear this was kind of a traumatizing thing peloton like mr big died i, I was not expecting it that was a genuine shock for me at the end of the episode and as much as he's been like a piece of shit this whole entire time i didn't I wasn't like waiting for him to die like that. Like I really did not expect that after we committed. And this is what they hit us with. New beginnings. To new beginnings. You look great. I feel great. It's Mr. Big. And the instructor in front of a fire. Should we take another ride? Life's too short not to. And they zoom out and there's two <laughs> Pelotons behind them. Just like that. The world was reminded that regular cycling stimulates and improves your heart, lungs, and circulation, reducing your risk of cardiovascular diseases. Cycling strengthens your heart muscles, lowers resting pulse, and reduces blood fat levels. He's alive. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> He's alive. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> what? They're really going to market, like, capitalize, literally capitalize off of our <laughs> collective spiritual trauma Mr. Big Death, <laughs> to sell $2,000 bikes? Yes. Yes. I don't actually know how much they cost, but they're expensive, right? I, I know they're expensive. All the rich people I know have one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and everyone looked into it. I, I like to stay in my lane. <laughs> like, that seemed next level, but then it felt a little bit like they were getting their comeuppance because have you been following what has happened with the accusations, the Me Too accusations against I, Christopher North? I have seen them, yes. Okay, so Beverly Johnson you know, black supermodel from back in the day, and as well as another person have independently apparently went to the press about it. They held on to it until the second allegation came through that was kind of corroborating of the first. And so now this is out there in the world. So I'm sure the people of Sex in the City are breathing a huge sigh of relief at the choice not to keep him through the whole season. And the people right. of Peloton are trying to figure out how they get their money back. <laughs> Child. Child. Yeah. Okay. So that was... That was the, the last, I think, big pointer I had about Sex in the City. I know that a lot of you probably had succession thoughts and feelings, but you still can queue up and shoot at us. We're going to try to wrap this. I was really going to try to get this under an hour and a half this week, and that did not happen, but we're certainly <laughs> not going to go over two hours. So I'm going to give you a last final call for any questions. I also want to put out there, like I did last week, I want to shout out to, um, oh gosh, what was his name? He's so nice. It's like, 
Sylvester is not Sylvester. It's the name. Oh, Spencer. It's Spencer because I had a crush on a Spencer in middle school. Um, <laughs> Spencer, who actually did make a clip from the last episode that I could push to social media. Spencer, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I'm going to get back to you about our discourse about net roots that we were having. Um, and if someone, this was a riot, Olay, you always, you made me laugh like nobody else makes me laugh. Like I don't <laughs> even understand. So clip some part of this for social media that you think would induce people to come and listen to it so I can push it out. If you asked a question and you said something and you want your voice out there on the Twitter streets or what have you, I will push that out. Clip whatever you want. I love that feature of this episode. So it saves me a little bit of work on the production. End. Thank you all. Oh. Oh, John, oh. let's 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 hear from you, my friend. How you doing? Oh, I'm pretty good. Getting ready for this uh, holiday game night in a minute here. But well, that sounds <laughs> like fun. Pretty... What games are you guys playing? Oh, man, we play this game called the Confessions Game, uh, where mm. they ask extraordinarily inappropriate, deep, just all the questions that get you into serious trouble with your partners and your siblings and your parents. And uh, should we be playing that on the Colin? Should we be playing that on the debrief? Oh, hell yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. All uh, right. We well, also, you know, go ahead. Know. But anyway. Um, <laughs> what's on your mind? What's on my mind is I tried to use that damn clipper tool and I could not figure it out to save my life. I don't know <laughs> what I'm doing wrong. I don't know. Like it says like the start time and the end time. I'm a super boomer. I'm so sorry, but I wanted to let you know that I did try um, to clip some stuff from the last episode. That was all. And, and I am having trouble. I don't know if anyone can give me a tutorial. Or anything, well, I appreciate but. that effort. I'm going to ask the people at Colin and see if they can give me a tutorial that I can post on social. Because I, I also believe, I also find it to be a little difficult, which is why I have not personally done it for myself. <laughs> and why I'm trying to see, exactly <laughs> to someone else, one of the many technically able gentlemen, I think it's fair to say. Oh, uh, hi, Bianca. Okay. Uh, hey, sh- hi, Sheree. Okay. I, I mean, not to assume pronouns, but I'm seeing a little bit more gender diversity in the in the chat than I did before. So, okay, we're making some progress. We're making some progress. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was hoping I could offload that. I could outsource that labor <laughs> to one of you guys. But let me see if I can get some technical assistance from, from the gang. Yes, Brianna, I will try again. I appreciate you. <laughs> and, um, and I'm going to start watching Succession. My sisters watch it, and they've been telling me to watch it. But this is, you know, it comes in three. So, <laughs> okay, please do. It's really good. Also, I don't want to derail, but I did start watching an amazing show today that I'm obsessed with, and I need to discourse about. It's the second season of Love Life on HBO. The first season with Anna Kendricks was like perfectly watchable and good, but the second season is out of control it stars the actor from um who plays chide on in uh, the good life uh william oh the good place. he's got three yeah, names yeah, william yeah. jefferson i don't forget his name um but he's so good and so adorable in it i checked he is not single william and- <laughs> william jefferson <laughs> william his name is william hold up hold up his name is william jackson harper okay jackson harper oh, just let you sound like someone i would have a crush on i'm a mess <laughs> I need to change my oh. script. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. And the ra- the way they handle various nuanced racial dynamics on this show is so good. It's like I it's like it's so competent. Mm-hmm. I've never consumed anything like this before. I'm in my like text thread with all my black lawyer friends, like going crazy about this all day. I binged four episodes and I can't wait to watch the rest. 
Okay, so check it out. you don't have to watch season one to watch it okay. either. It's completely separate storylines. Okay, I'm gonna check that out then. Good. I will check out uh, that show too. Did you? I mean, did you watch Rami? I did. I really enjoyed it. I did like it. Yeah, that one. That one was wild. I'm watching this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, the the love interest that he ends up with, kind of at the end, the black woman. Not only did I go to high school with her, we were in the school play together, and she played my sidekick. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, she's she's so beautiful, she's, she's and she's so cool. sweet. Mamea Boafo. She also. Fun fact is very afraid of birds. <laughs> she's an, she's yeah, an absolute dog. Yeah, uh, I ran into her. She had a she had an off Broadway play in New York a couple years ago, maybe a few years ago now at this point. And I went to see her. It was about um what was it called? It was like about African schoolgirls, and it was really 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 good. Um, so that's wow. that's me saying that maybe in a different universe. I could have acted. <laughs> it could have been that, me. That's the Leo in you, because I said that shit all the time, too. I also was in place. <laughs> but you could also be a comedian, too. I don't know if you know this, but you're incredibly quick. I, I mean, Olay is like the funniest person I've ever met. Like, oh, me? Yes, you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Truly, truly. Like, I'm trying to figure out how to shoehorn you into every episode because you had me <laughs> laughing, girl. You know you had me laughing during the Kyle Rittenhouse episode when I, I should listen, not have been laughing. Listen, and, and everybody is, you should say, that's always my thing. Everybody is so mad. I'm like, I was giving y'all jokes. I was giving you lighthearted. <laughs> I was like, I was like, y'all so ungrateful about you giving you comedy stylings and you mad? <laughs> you were giving me, you're going to get a million inboxes and you're going to get me entirely in trouble. But you know what? That's why I don't check inboxes anymore unless I'm feeling extremely emotionally healthy. <laughs> okay, Janet, yeah. do you have any other questions or comments, or should I go ahead and take Chris again for the last caller of the evening? Oh, yes, yes, of course. So um, we'll, you can go ahead and move on. Uh, good, good to hear you, ladies. Um, see you next time. See you Bye. next time. I appreciate you. All right, appreciate all right, Chris, too, bringing please. up the rear. Last but not least, any final thoughts, questions, or concerns? Just, uh, can I ask the forbidden question? Please tell me it's Sex and the City related. Is it, is it related to the topics at hand, Chris? It's, it's kind of. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I know where you're going with this, Chris. And I'm going to go ahead and remove you because I feel like we've given you a lot of space and I can just feel your energy that you're about to abuse it. <laughs> I, I, just, Chris, I can really feel your energy that you were about to upset me. And I'm about to hop in the shower and head over to a hot date. Ooh. You know how I do. Last Friday, I was telling them I had to get off the phone because I was going salsa dancing. And now I have to go to my follow-up. So wow. I'm going now to... I'm, gonna... like I'm not living. I got to go out. Now I need a fit. I don't have no plans, Rihanna. This is, oh, this is all my lie. plans. I see you on Instagram 100% of the time in amazing outfits. Listen, you very tell insecure them. about my you, gifts from you, God. Listen, you better tell the people I'd be serving looks, okay? Non-stop looks. <laughs> Thank you. If you, Thank you. if you don't follow Ole on Instagram, Ole, tell people what your handle is so they can follow, follow you. Can you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter and any place at Miss Olurin. That's M S O L U R I N. Okay, perfect. And where can they find you on? Is that the same as Twitter? Same. Miss Olurin on everything. Okay, you are genuinely funny. I saw your tweet about how was it Door DoorDash tried to steal? Is it like profiting off of your viral Everybody tweet? Everybody stealing from me, Brianna. <laughs> yeah, because your your wit knows no end. You need to have a show on here. The second you have a show, I will be 
a guest at your beck and call at any moment because it's really entertainment for me is what it is. <laughs> yes, I would love that, Bree. Tell somebody to give me one. <laughs> I, I'm on the case. The next time these calling people come calling around and be like, do you know about my girl Oleg? <laughs> yes, tell them, Bree. Thank all you. Right, well, thank you all for, for this, for st- hanging around. Like I said, we have a great episode with Slavoj Zizak coming out on Monday. It's going to be a two hours and two-parter, but I, so we want to have one part of it free, but I think at least half of it is going to be behind the paywall because that way I don't have to record a separate Christmas episode and our producer Ben can finally get a break. Remember, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash badfaithpodcast for $5 a month. Remember that you should go ahead and subscribe to this here, like follow this uh, this show, the, the, the debrief, so that you can get alerts when I schedule upcoming programming, which I'm going to try to do better at scheduling in advance, which is the thing I do not do. I'm going to keep annoying you with the, with the soundboard. I'm on that podcast. <laughs> yes, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you, Ole. And as always, keep the faith.